a black executive perspective. Look, man, they didn't get a chance to play chess. They had to play checkered. Let's talk about it, T. Openly and honestly. There was a lot of smart kids there. A black executive perspective. Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A black executive perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. Putting the advocacy back into allyship. Allyship has become such a familiar term in our current zeitgeist, but are we effectively using the word? Or better yet, are we embodying the action of allyship? Gone are the days of paying lip service to these efforts. Join us as we speak with Chanel Lake, strategic marketer, community curator, storyteller, who serves as a shining example of advocacy and allyship, and who actively makes space to do so while giving a voice to others. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, your guide, your sensei, Tony Tidbit. And I've been in corporate America for over 30 years, so I'm ready to sit down and break down these barriers and address the topic of race in the workplace. So this episode, we're going to focus on that familiar term of allyship. Are we effectively using the word correctly? Do people know what allyship and advocacy is? All right. Gone are the days of verbal support, right? Our guest today, Chanel Lake, Senior Vice President of Influence Marketing at Edelman. She's a shining example of one of those individuals who's putting advocacy back in allyship. And she's going to share some of those things with us today. Let me give you a little bit about Chanel's background. Chanel's expertise is ideation to execution of brand and content strategies has enabled her to harness a customer's journey to drive action. She leads Edelman's F&B and tech influencer practice, overseeing B2C and B2B clients, including AMD, General Mills, and many more. She previously worked at Amazon, where she dove first to market and performance innovation Excuse me, I said drove, excuse me. She drove first to market and performance innovation for entertainment SFOD climate clients, as well as building talent, content, and data-driven narratives. Chanel has previously worked at Sony Pictures Entertainment and 72 and Sunny, Sunny in talent development, content, brand development, and PR strategy. Her varied experience has led her to launch strategic partnership arms, execute first to market experiences and work on a plethora of brands such as Disney streaming services, Activision, Target, Google, Adidas, as well as top-tier actors, producers, and directors while they're not striking. Chanel, welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. I'm more than thrilled for this conversation and just the opportunity to chat. Well, more importantly, we thank you for joining us because obviously... You know, putting advocacy back into allyship is very important, right? You know, several years ago, and I'm pretty sure we'll dive into it, you know, uh, the word advocacy and allyship kind of took off and everybody was talking about it and this and that. And then obviously, you know, we're in 2023 on the second half of 2023 and things are starting, not just starting, they have been like just dwindling down, right? So this conversation is very important for all of us to learn exactly what is advocacy and then really what does that mean from an allyship standpoint. However, before we get started, here on a Black Executive Perspective podcast, first, before we get into the heavy stuff, we want to get to know you a little bit. It's called, we call our, this is our icebreaker session, okay? This is where we get to ask you some questions that's off topic so we can get to know who Chanel is and blah, blah, blah. Give us a little background on Chanel, where you're from, you know, where you live at, stuff to that nature. Love it. Love it. Well, I'm uh, L.A. born and raised, probably one of the last few that are still here. Um, I'm definitely much a Cali girl. It's probably why I haven't left the city. I, I enjoy the heat and me and the cold. We, we not rocking too much all the time. But um, uh, I, I love the opportunity, as you can see. And you talked about a little bit of my background. I'm, I'm a storyteller. Like I, I love all facets of content and storytelling, whether that's 
me running into someone at the airport and just introducing myself and figuring out their backstory or figuring out a way to bring that to life uh, on social or, or in the movie theater. So for me, I'm, I'm a cinephile through and through, that's for sure. Um, I'm beyond a bookworm slash nerd for whatever reason. So happy to share come a couple of my recommendations and go-tos as well. But LA born and raised Cali girl that, you know, loves the opportunity to share some of the gems that I've been, you know, uh, bestowed upon throughout my career and, and experiences to, to help others and just keep the conversation going. Got it. Got it. Awesome. So I, I so are you being a cinematic, you know, uh, geek or person that loves, you know, storytelling, are you jonesing right now because of the writer's strike and stuff of that nature? That's a whole other conversation to unpack. But I, luckily, <laughs> there's more than enough content uh, available for me to either double back on things that I love or honestly discover something new. But, um, you know, being L.A. born and raised, I, I minored in cinema. I went to USC, fight on for all the Trojans watching. And, uh, you know, that's that's how it, it really uh, came to life for me moving forward. So listen, smart, intelligent your storyteller, um, you know, this topic and, uh, and like you talked about the, the being a geek and stuff of that nature is stuff that you really enjoy. If you, the question I have is what is one superpower that you wish you had? Mm. I, I call it this and people who know me are going to start laughing. So hopefully you laugh too, but, uh, I would say invisibility, but as I like to call it, it's incognito because being incognito, <laughs> allows you to be a fly on the wall, allows you to see conversations, it allows you to hear things without anyone ever perceiving that you're there, right? And that illuminates a lot of things about people, about conversation. So for me, it's invisibility, but as I like to call it, it's incognito, which is not HR approved, but it's Chanel approved. You know what? I love that. And, and look, I laugh too, I think. <laughs> Number one, I think it's a great superpower. Number two, I love the uh, off-record, off-topic uh, 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 nomenclature, that you <laughs> so which is awesome. That's cool. Well, let me back up a little bit because I'm talking to a cinema uh, uh, champion. Favorite movie, mm -hmm. and obviously we have a lot, right? But if you had to pick one movie that you would watch over and over again, which would it be? Oh, gosh. I know you said one, but I'm going to say two. So that's just going to how we're, we're going to rock this. Godfather Part 1. Woo! Part one only. Okay. And then po oh! Poetic Justice, Godfather. I think time, place, narrative, storytelling, character development. I mean, there's so much to impact there about family, di familial dynamics and hierarchy of business. That was one movie set in time and place that was just done to perfection. And then Poetic Justice for me is, I think, getting into the the roots of like, character development and black love and, and, and relationships and what that looks like um, involving from friends and love and just seeing characters that are two black characters evolving as individuals and evolving together is something that I don't think we see a lot now in, in content. We may see interracial couples, which is great and great to see representation, but a lot of bigger movies and bigger TV shows don't always showcase the same race in terms of relationship. Um, and I think having that representation as well is is really, really important. Uh, number one, I got to give it to you. I've been doing this for a while. And I asked that question, not just in a Black Executive Perspective podcast, but, you know, with friends and coworkers. And you are, I have to say, the only person who said Godfather. And that's my number one movie as well, right? For all the reasons that you just, you know, detailed out, which is great. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And then the final one, who had the most influence in your life? I will say the person that still has the most influence in my life is my grandmother. Uh, she has taught me a lot of things. She has provided a lot of guidance based upon her experience and what not to do. And as she likes to say, which I definitely agree with her, that if I can deal with her, I can deal with anyone in corporate America. And I have to agree. <laughs> she's, she's, there you spicy. go. I love she it. I love it. it. And everything else is like a walk in the park. Look, those grandmothers, they don't play, right? That's why they call the grandmother, right? Because they exactly. give it to you straight. Exactly. Which is like, we all, we all need someone, someone like that and, and take it to the point. There's no question. No question. Well, Chanel, thank you for that. So are you ready? Let's do this. Okay, let's talk about it then, all right? So putting the advocacy back into allyship. So the first thing, and again, 
I, I always want to make sure that our audience understands, you know, a lot of the terms um, that we talk about and stuff to that nature so they can follow along. So when you talk about, when you say advocacy and allyship, can you define what, what does that mean? Yeah. For me, um, allyship encapsulates advocacy personally. So what I mean by that is that when I'm, you know, uh, representing as an ally for someone else that I have proactive action that elevates that person's name or experience and opportunity in spaces and places that they, they don't have visibility or they're not in the room. And so for me, advocacy and allyship has a lot to do with proactivity and action, because there's a point at which you may elevate someone's name and or elevate an opportunity, but never follow through. And I think, as you alluded to earlier, Tony, something we'll talk about, you know, in the past two years with brands and other things, making commitments and there's no follow through. And, you know, for me, I'm about that action. If I'm going to say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it or I'm going to tell you why I can't do it now. But let's figure out how to get us there. Awesome. I love that. And, you know, you make a very good point. Right. You know, um, sometimes people say what they think other people want to hear in that moment, but then there's no follow through. Right. And, you know, I'm pretty sure your grandmother might have said this to proof. If she didn't say it this way, she probably said another phrase. The proof is always in the pudding. Okay. 100%. So at the end of the day, you know, exactly. So at the end of the day, we'll see um, if you follow through. So that makes some sense. That makes total sense. You know, one of the things, so you, we talked about, you, you said, hey, it's about productivity and action. It's about co committing to what you said you're going to do. Now, one of the things that we've seen over the last few years is a lot of people have said, hey, I'm an ally. Hey, I'm your ally. Or, hey, we need our allies to do this, that, this, that, this, that, and the whole nine yards. Right. And so tell me a little bit, and you talked to, at a high level in terms of productivity and commitment, but tell us a little bit in terms of like what, what some of the things that you haven't seen, not just from brands, mm -hmm. but also from individuals who basically saying that, hey, I got your back. Yeah. So when I talk about proactivity, a piece of that that I think aligns well with not only brands, but individuals is doing the education for themselves and doing the action for themselves. Because right now there's a there's a current gap in what I've witnessed from a from a people perspective and a brand perspective in doing that education lift. Right. And putting that burden on said community is a lot. Right. We're already dealing with a lot. And so as an ally, my expectation, for lack of a better word, is to do a lot of the homework yourself, to do a lot of the information. There's so much knowledge in a multiplicity of ways of which may be representative of, you know, black experts and thought leaders and what have you. So do the work first. Come with an action plan, some additional questions, something else. But don't put that initial burden of proof on that individual or on that community. I think that's something even with employee resource groups or network groups is really, really important because a lot of allies join those as well, even though if they're not representative of that community. Like it's it's a point at which you need to do the initial work and then follow up and ask questions, right? I, I personally do that uh, a lot myself. And, and then the commitment piece, right? The commitment to X that you've denoted. I think that that's the piece is a lot of people sign up and say things that they're either not willing to do once they get into it or don't understand the full weight of what they said they were going to do. And so they're either backtrack or they won't follow through. And so for me, I'd right, rather you not right. say anything or not even designate yourself as an ally than fall back on your word. That just like, that's not it, right? But we see that time and time again, not only in corporate spaces, but also working with partners and clients and what have you, that they're just, they get into the weeds of it all and don't recognize that this can be super, super heavy. And sometimes it can be tricky to navigate. Yeah. So, so can I, I want to dive in into, in, into that a little bit more. So number one, I definitely agree. So, you know, I, I, I think about my own experience, you know, starting at a company during the pandemic I wasn't hired. I was hired there to drive uh, sales, advertising sales revenue. George Floyd thing 
you know, kicked off two months later, just based on my own experience, what I've went through as being, you know, black in corporate America, you know, uh, my own incidents throughout that journey. And, but more importantly, something that, you know, happened when I was a kid that I kind of suppressed just all came to the forefront. And I felt like I had to say something. Okay. And, um, because I felt that if, you know, for over 30 years, I didn't say anything because, you know, my mother, you know, uh, told me, Hey, don't ever let use, let make race as an excuse for why you can't, you know, move forward. So, uh, and I kind of took that literally, literally. However, when the, when the George Floyd thing happened, I just felt like I needed to do something, mm -hmm. put stuff together where it, it, we, I could educate you know, non-people of color, white people or, or anybody, right? In terms of what, you know, people of color go through. And so when I hear you, and, and, and well, let me, let me just say this. So in doing that, in the beginning, you know, obviously, you know, people were excited. They, they joined, I created this weekly uh, a session called Conversation on Race. I put together all the materials, I, because the goal was to educate, right? Because one of the things in our first session I heard was, hey, I didn't know this was going on. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I didn't, you know, I, 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 I don't have experience because, you know, I grew up in an, in an area or a neighborhood. There's not a lot of people of color, right? So I, I got that. So based on that, I was like, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make this an educational session and I'm going to educate you on these things. Now, I did that. It's going on almost three and a half years. Mm. Okay. And, and it's been yeah. the, the, the genesis, that situation sparked how we started a black executive perspective podcast. The reason I bring that up, because what you just got finished saying, and I, you got finished saying that, Hey, listen, you know, they should be, they should dive in on their own. <laughs> they should basically do their own education. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a heavy topic. If they really want to be allies, I shouldn't we shouldn't have to educate them. They should, you know, basically, you know, there's a ton of information out here. Everybody's got a smartphone. They can figure stuff out and learn it along the way. And I'm, I'm not going to even disagree with that. I can just say, you know, and, and when I was doing this at work, I got both sides of the coin. So I had. Uh, White people, not, you know, I heard this to the grapevine saying, he's only doing that. They only got him doing that because he's black. Okay. Then I heard, you know, black people, people of color say, they're using you. You should, they should be learning this on their own. Blah, 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 blah. Right. However, my thought process was, well, you know what? I, I don't care about that. I really just want to, if people want to come and to learn, then I'm willing to do that. All right. What difference does it make if they do it on their own yeah. or they come to a BRG group or they come to, you know, what I put together or a neighbor is doing a pop, it's doing a, a session or what the case may be that as long as they're learning it and now they can, and, and they got it and they get it. And then they shared with other individuals. Why is that a big deal? If they don't, if they, if they come here or they do it on their own. Yeah. So I want to, I want to ask you that. And, and then let me tell you my, my, cause this is what I thought. They're not going to do it on their own. Okay. They're, cause if that was the case, they would have done this hundreds of years ago. <laughs> okay. So evidently they did nothing. All right. So, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a really good point. Right. And I think for me, when, what I was saying before is the expectation that I am going to educate you without doing any of your previous homework. Right. That's the piece that is the disconnect for me, the expectation, right, of which you creating those assets and having that dialogue, I think is brilliant, right, because that spoke to you and gives everyone an opportunity to lean in. But the expectation that I am going to because I sit on the black ERG or because like that's the disconnect for me in terms of allyship, right? If you're going to define yourself as an ally, if you're not, right, that's a whole other story. If you're just coming to learn and uh, understand what you may not have been previously privy to based upon experience or where you live or what have you, I totally recognize that. I get that. But if you're going to define yourself as an ally and expect me to inform you, 
that's my, the piece that, that doesn't make sense, right? For me personally, in terms of mm-hmm. advocacy and allyship, and when we discuss that, if I'm going to call myself an ally, I should be doing some of that homework at first to educate myself at a baseline instead of expecting the person of that community to do that, right? Um, and I had that happen yeah. to me. And I had that happen to me. And I had to explain to my superior who was white and consider themselves an ally, hey, I'm more than happy to support any type of education or assets because I think that's personally important for everyone to know. But can you explain to me what education you have as a baseline? Because there's a lot to fill in these gaps right here, right? Like, what have you done? And for me, it wasn't necessarily, um, it was based on the principle. I was just honestly intrigued to hear what they had to say uh, before they put the work on me, right? And so you can call it what it is, but for me, I just wanted to see someone at a super senior level is expecting me to pull all this together. What have you done initially to do the work of which you call yourself an ally? And there was emails of which you call yourself an ally, right? So for me, that's that's the disconnect. I am more, mm-hmm. I love the education piece and the learning because there's so much for me to learn even about my own community. Like we're not a monolith, right? Um, we're, mm-hmm. we're all individuals. And to what you said before in the corporate Correct. space, Correct. everyone's going to have different reactions and perspective. And we need to be able to be open to hear that um, even right now, I sit on our Black employee network group, GRIO at Edelman. And for me, it's important to understand because there's so much intersectionality within the Black community that is not my own personal experience. So I want to be able to hear that. And something else we, we recently talked about is this idea of, you know, in a corporate space, how do you get senior level executives to hear the expansiveness of experiences when you only have certain people at a senior level that are black to be able to elevate those, like at a certain point, does it become a moot point because you're hearing from the same people and they're advocating on behalf of a group? So that's digressing into a whole other conversation. But this idea of allyship and education to me is connective to doing part of the work up front instead of expecting that someone else is going to do it for you. Thanks for sharing. That makes total sense. But I just want to back up a little bit because I want to make sure we're clear in terms of what you were saying that your your superior, your boss. So just so I'm clear, was he, I imagine it's a he, right? Is mm-hmm. that, is that what, it was a guy, right? So he came to you and said, hey, Chanel, I want you to put some stuff together for me. I just want to make sure I'm clear in yeah. terms of what was the ask. Yeah. So this was in a previous role. This is not in my current role. So let me clarify that mm-hmm. point first. Um, yep. And it was a skip level boss of which... I'm a relatively no filter, relatively vocal person. And so there was a uh, an email going around based upon the Black Employee Network group in our specific business unit. And I was seeing everything that was going around. And I was like, there's a major disconnect. And there's there's some pieces in here that I would like to help clarify or get clarification on. And so of which I responded back to that skip level manager um, and asked a bunch of questions like, hey, where's X, Y, and Z? So we ultimately got on a call to just reduce and mitigate the amount of emails going back and forth, but of which I asked him, hey, you know, you all would like us to create some additional resources from an education perspective for our business unit, of which we already have like a, you know, a multicultural and a DEI team that has a lot of these resources. So what is the differentiator for our business unit? Is it how we're operating in practice based upon microaggressions? Like, is it something that we're going to provide external to client facing? What does that look like? And so we got on a topic about education and doing the work beforehand. And I said, I, you know, I know you're connected to a couple different ERGs and you can consider yourself an ally for various communities. So how do you put forth the work to educate yourself before relaying that responsibility on someone else? And so that's what the, that was the conversation that was had is like there was a a nice heavy list of assets that were asked to be created of which we already had a lot of those details throughout the network. We just needed to piece them together. So what's the differentiator right. and how come totally understand you're at a more senior level. Maybe you weren't privy to that, but like, let's figure out how we can figure out what resources we have internal first before we're asking the community that represents that to pull something together. We, we had all those pieces, right? So for me, right, it was about right. identifying, do we really need to recreate something that new? 
can we identify where those assets currently live, of which a lot of them were already built out by the wonderful DEI and multicultural teams internally? And three, as someone who identifies as an ally themselves, like, just like, let's be open about it. What piece of the puzzle have you done to educate or proactively right. identify that these were available? Right. Like I go back right. to proactivity and action. Those are the two. And he stated that he was an ally. So to your point, all right, that's great. That's awesome. We need allies. However, what do you bring into the table versus a request? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Got you. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. And, you know, look, we've all, you know, it's a struggle. You know, it's like, uh, I don't want to say the chicken and egg because that's probably not a great comparison. It, I, I, well, let me just say it from my point of view. For me, I, I was open. And again, I volunteered to do it. Mm -hmm. However, to your point, I remember somebody reaching out to me, not somebody that I worked with. I, you know, I had spoke on this panel um, for this company a few years earlier. Uh, and then all of a sudden they want it because everybody's going DI, you know, mm -hmm. ally, everybody going crazy. Right. So this dude reaches out to me, Tony. Hey, man, long time. blah blah blah. Hey, can you come? And we are doing this panel on DI and blah, blah, blah. We'd love to have you. And I'm like, I was like, I would love to, buddy, but I, I can't because I'm, I'm busy. I got a thousand things. That date doesn't work for me. So then he responds back and says, uh, I said, why don't you ask? I said, so why don't you just ask somebody else? Because I'm not a fit. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, I don't We don't know any other black people. <laughs> OK. <laughs> there go. Open the so, can of worms right there. Exactly. Right. So 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 to your point, you wanted me to come on chat. Right. However, at the end of the day, because I couldn't do it, they didn't have a network of other individuals that they of other people of color that could have came on and did it. And to be fair, they could have kind of spoke to some of this stuff themselves. I definitely, I definitely hear that. So when it comes to that, what, what type of education, what would you recommend from an educational st standpoint? How can they educate themselves about unique challenges and experiences where, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we all have our own stories mm -hmm. and, you know, Chanel, you, you LA base, you know, you you grew up. There's a million things you went through. Tony Franklin, Detroit, Michigan, a million things I went through where somebody else who don't have those experiences. Right. They probably could read something. Right. But they don't really have real connection in terms of, you know, is this real or are they making this up? Mm -hmm. Are they complaining? Everything seems equal to me today. Right. So so if they don't have those experiences, how can they educate themselves? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Because to your point, reading something, then it goes, opens up your magical imagination while you're reading something to identify and validate whether or not that's true, right? And so something that I like to think about is for some people maybe considered an uncomfortable situation, but putting yourself outside of the bounds of your own experience, whether that's going to an event that is outside of your bounds and experience where that primary community is black or is Asian or what have you, or expanding yourself outside of, for instance, like I'm a part of different ENG groups that work that of which I am not representative of, like, because I want to be a part of that community. I support that community. And I've done a lot of work from an education perspective to at least understand some of the challenges and opportunities that reflect that community. So I think one of the one of the most fun ways, and it doesn't have to be a heavy thing, is like figure out a way to go experience the essence of that culture in person, in an event, through food, through what have you. It doesn't have to be heavy. Like what? Go to a black block party. Like just have the time of your life, right? You're going to meet and experience so many types of blackness just in LA proper, right? So for me, that's like one of the most fun and easy ways is just get out and go experience that from a, a cultural perspective, right? Um, and then I think the other piece is, whether it's in a corporate setting, um, go to different events that your corporation is hosting that reflect other communities of interest, right? Or intersectionality um, and hearing those conversations of those individuals and their stories, right? As you said, Everyone has their own story. So let me hear it from them directly what their story is. And then for me, it's it's just connecting with people on a personal level. Like anytime I go right. 
meet someone or go to a new job or what have you, like the first six months, I just want to get to know as many people as possible, right? And then when I go and talk to those people, I always ask them, hey, can you give me three other people I should go meet that you really vibe with or you feel like I'm going to get something worthwhile of that conversation, whatever the case might be. And for me, that's opened up the aperture of conversation, of network, and opportunity to have some uncomfortable conversations, of which I've been able to identify my allies, Black, white, indifferent, Asian, because I've been able to have real conversations with the the first degree of person that I met. They gave me a little story, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to be able to dive in with that other person that they asked me to recommend to. So those are kind of the, the three key things, of which they all centralize on the human story, on the individual, on that experience. So true. So true. Great. You know, it's funny. And I don't know if you saw me, I was smiling, making faces and it wasn't at you. It was, it was really at, I mean, you really broke it down and it's real simple, right? The education is you don't have to go read encyclopedia. All right. You don't have to go and and focus on the 1619 project. All right. right. I mean, you can, those things are good, right? You don't have to go and read the civil rights uh, bills that was, you know, created you can just go and visit and put yourself in a situation where you're the minority. Right. Right. And by doing that, you will all of a sudden start, you know, getting starting to educate and learn from other people. And I think what you said, and, and that's why I was just laughing, because it, it, that part ain't that heavy. Right. You can. We had. um in one of our episodes, we talked about uh, is DEI still working? And we had mm-hmm. our guests. And she she chatted about at her company, what they do is exactly what you just got finished saying. They make sure that anybody, in, uh, there's a sponsor for the BRG group, but that sponsor is not somebody of that race or background. Mm-hmm. This way it allows them to be able to get to understand that group better, right? Versus sponsoring a group you've already familiar with, you know, their story, the experiences right. and stuff to that nature. So that makes you, you know, that's something that we all can do. And you know what's interesting? I remember um, when I worked for this global uh, uh, company. I used to go to uh, the Netherlands, you know, uh, twice a year. And I went one year, and the um, uh, a person in our office said, "Hey, Tony, you know, we're having a a a a, a, a street cookout tomorrow. We would love for you to come." Right. I was like, absolutely. So I went and it was just in her neighborhood, her block and all the people, they brought food and stuff. And I was able to sit and learn from, you know, all these people that were from the Netherlands. They were telling me stories and they were like, oh, they, I couldn't believe how, how well they knew our politics, too, which is insane. <laughs> right. But back to your point, I wanted to spend time with them because there were people I knew nothing of. Mm-hmm. Best way to do it was not read a book or it was to be able to go and break bread with them and, and have talk and get to one, know each other on a, a build a connection and learn each other on a, learn from each other from a one-on-one basis. It was fantastic. So you're a hundred percent right. And this is the area that we struggle in because people feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. to do that. I've been in, let's go back to your, uh, what did you call it? Your superpower? My what did you say it was? Negro. You're incognito, right? Let's go back to that. <laughs> okay. So at the end of the day, we all, for the most, I want to say we all, for the majority of us that, you know, are people of color who's assimilated into corporate America, which is a white uh, structure. We've all been in places where we were the only uh, people that looked like us. We all were able to assimilate and still have fun and chat with everybody and know everybody's background and business. Mm-hmm. And we all have been in situations where we go and we're on the yacht and we're the only one that looked like us or we're at this happy hour or we're going to this event. But we don't see that reciprocated on the other side. It's hard to get people just to come over your house. OK, <laughs> they're afraid that. Oh, I'm going to be the only one and I'm going to be uncomfortable. So would, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think uh, it. I think that there's another level of courage. I say courage lightly from a white individual or whomever that is not really comfortable or has experienced like a black community. It takes a level of courage for them to get outside of their comfort zone 
versus if I don't, if, if I know nothing or, you know, I want to be able to go experience, I'm like, okay, well, let me try something new. If I don't like it, I don't like it. If it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for me. Right. But I think that there's, there's so much conversation and rhetoric, even in their own mindset around this idea of like, okay, am I going to say something wrong? Am I going to say something that's not PC? You know, am I going to disrespect someone instead of just, just doing it, just do it. And ideally you're going to be put in a space and you're going to do enough conversation and listening and back and forth just on a human level that like, if you do say something that is not PC, someone's going to be like, Hey, like, you know, I, I like heard you say that, but like, you know, we wouldn't normally say that, like just giving you a heads up, like all good, like no hard, no foul, but like just heads up for next time. You know what I mean? Like I've done that more than, more Mm -hmm. than once, more than a hundred times to be like, listen, no, no hard, no foul. Like I don't take any disrespect to it, but like, just letting you know that that's not cool in, in other spaces with other black people. Just letting you know. Right, right, right. You're a hundred. And that's how we, we, we go from uncomfortable to comfortable. And you're doing it with, uh, you would assume, another ally, a friend, somebody that you trust. So at the end of the day, if they're inviting you over, that means they, they, they like you. Right. All right. They're not putting you in harm's way. And then more importantly, you can make a deeper connection with other people that fall within that group, right? And that that can help educate you. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Most definitely. I Correct. think this this honestly comes up quite frequently, I think, in a in a corporate space as a black female leader in a predominantly white space or predominantly white female leaders, of which when I get feedback on my team members that are BIPOC, it's really interesting. Um, they won't share it with the individual directly, but they'll come to me either because we have a relationship or we, you know, they feel maybe a little bit more comfortable with me and they'll come and share that feedback with me of which I tell them, Hey, I hear you. And I totally recognize that if they're doing something fundamentally wrong or misstep, like let's figure out how to action it. But everything you just said to me is feedback that I've received previously. Right. And it's okay. Exactly. Go ahead. ahead. It's okay to share with them directly. One, because it's not anything that they haven't heard before, but also two, a lot of it is microaggression based feedback that isn't feedback about their tangible work or skill set. It's about your inability to be comfortable with either how they say something, which or how they framed something. So it's interesting that we're talking about like comfortability of like inviting over to the home and stuff like that. But it also resonates in comfort level with certain leaders in a corporate space. And I have told multiple people that I adore and really respect. Hey, I appreciate everything you just said. But if you can't say that feedback to that individual, then you shouldn't say it directly to me. That is awesome. That's an excellent point. It is so true. And at the end of the day, you know, people, leaders have to feel comfortable chatting with people outside of their own group. Right. And, I, you know, I'm trying to, and to be fair, I'm trying to just think back in my career. Have I had somebody that I felt that was uncomfortable giving me feedback? And, and, and just right off the top of my head, no, the majority of my, my majority, probably all of my management pretty much everywhere I've been at has been, you know, uh, uh, of white people. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've never had anybody that was afraid to tell me exactly what I needed to, to hear. So I don't know, is this, is this something new today? <laughs> is this based on, cause I, I'm just trying to be honest here, right? Yeah. Is this more hype? And because of the George Floyd thing, because of DEI, because of, you know, microaggressions and all the, the trainings and stuff like that, that companies are now doing it. Has that really made people scared? We can directionally infer that it probably has had some type of subconscious impact. For sure. I don't know. But I will uh, agree that there's a certain comfort level that individuals have specifically with me than they do some of my other colleagues, of which is probably the way that we talk because we talk different. And I think it probably mm-hmm. has to do with colorism. Like I'm light skin. Some people on my team are not light skin. Like that's a whole other situation, right? So I think also like the idea that the way that I talk and the way that I look is maybe a little bit more inviting for them 
than some of my more you know, like chocolate individuals or people that just talk different because their experience or where they're from is a little bit different, right? But for me, it's about, uh, and I honestly love having those conversations because for me, that's the type of education that I'm okay with because it's important to make sure that I'm advocating on behalf of my team so that someone isn't saying to them that the way that they talk is inappropriate. No, that's not conducive, right? Uh, it's it's who right. they are and, and that is a part of them. So we need to embrace that. What they're saying may be wrong, which is a different story, but how they talk is not feedback. <laughs> I think that right. that's very clear to differentiate. So how can allies, you know, because, let me jump to this because one of the things is, and I love to hear from a work standpoint, from a corporate standpoint, you talked about being proactive, doing the work, and then following through on the commitment in terms of what you say you're going to do, right? So how can an ally at work um, help, especially when the organization is pushing back? Mm -hmm. Because we, you know, and we, and, and, and a lot of times that's where things go fall by the wayside is because in the beginning, everybody's for it. Mm -hmm. And then slowly it starts changing. And then there's no more, there's nobody, no, there's not enough allies saying, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? What about this? It's usually the people of color who say, wait, what about this? What about that? Yeah. Or how can they be more uh, positive? How can they be able to deal with the resistance uh, within corporate America? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's also an onion, right? You have to peel back the layers and understand the situation of which that's coming to light. A lot of times I like to think about it as not starting small, but starting what you can, where you can impact and what is, is right adjacent to you, right? Um, instead of always starting with the big macro topic, personally, I like to look around me and connect it to me of whatever, three degrees of separation to figure out, okay, what can I help solve for? So I think that that's something that people can look to is what around you do you have control over or influence of that you can ladder back in the conversation? Another piece is around the person of color is saying that it is their experience. Validate that it is their experience. I do not need someone gaslighting me. I need you to just hear, hey, I appreciate you sharing that. And either they're going to take it and they're going to sit with it a little bit more and figure out how they can help or maybe have another follow-up conversation with that person separately just so that they can dig into it a little bit more and not in an open dialogue. But that I think is a huge one is validating or recognizing that someone's experience is their experience. Like it's not, uh, yes. you know, guilt, like it's not in the court of law until proven correct. Like that is their experience and it should not be delineated as anything different. I think is really, really important. And then of which in terms of being in meetings, like you said, a lot of times those individuals that are, you know, black or, or BIPOC are not in those conversations and in those meetings. That is a key opportunity for allies to start raising that, hey, something as 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 baseline in, in the corporate space of like, you know, um, let's talk about uh, <laughs> someone asked to go to a conference and let's say they're required to put their credit card down for the hotel. Well, that individual may not have a credit limit big enough to put that on their credit card, right? And even something as simple as that, broader example, someone raising in a conversation, hey, like, can we talk about using the corporate card so that alleviates the pressure on someone else, right? It, it, it's, it's really about understanding and empathizing with someone else's experience that I think starts to reframe and shape the questions you should be asking and the things that you should start to push and pull. Of which no one's asking you to, to save the world, right? We're just asking you to look outside of your own experience, especially if you're managing a team, especially if you're, you know, have influence over a larger team of which there's representative black individuals or BIPOC individuals to figure out how you can, you know, advocate on, on their behalf. And by no means do you have to call yourself an ally if you don't want to. That's totally fine. Right. But right. again, like I had mentioned, actions speak louder than words. And a lot of that comes to fruition when certain people are having conversations in certain rooms. You know, if I'm sitting here and I'm somebody um, um, who's from a white pers perspective and I'm listening to what you're saying 
And for years, this has never been a focus. Okay? Never brought it up. Now, last three or four years, we're getting training. We're doing this. We're doing that. Um, we got to be careful what we say here. We got to be careful what we do here. We got to do all these things. So I'm sitting back saying, well, wait a minute. You know, people don't care about my feelings. Um, somebody hasn't, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel, you know, people have uh, gone overboard to make sure that I'm good. You know, seems like I got to go through extra hoops because I have, you know, people different, you know, uh, people of color or, you know, people who are, you know, gay or whatever the case may be on my team. Now I got to go through certain hoops to make sure that their feelings are okay. Um, where before nobody's really focused on my feelings. So what would you, how would you respond to that? Yeah. I mean, I would have an Issa Rae monologue in my head of how I would really respond <laughs> to it. You know, there are people who think that way. No, a hundred percent. Okay. A hundred percent. And they think they're like, why do we got to do this? Why do we got to do that? Just to make, you know, I've been here for years. I don't see color, you know, all these things right here to substantiate their point. Um, but I would love to, if you can chat about that, because they're, you know, some of them are probably going to listen to this podcast. So I'd love to be able to give them, you know, a, a perspective and why uh, this is important. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And one of which, you know, if your feelings haven't been heard, period, across the board, that's problematic, right? So there, there's one of that piece. But I, I, I think taking a step back of like understanding that most corporations, constructs, systems were built for and in the support of white people. They were not built mm -hmm. for what was considered other, which was colored, black, Asian, what have you, or minority, even Jewish at certain points in, in our history. So I think understanding that, like most regulations, systems, criteria were built by white people for white people. And so when different situations in our culture and in our history have constructed for uprising or louder vocalization of the needs of that community, then people who haven't heard those voices as frequently because they've been suppressed are like, oh my gosh, why do we have to pivot and make everyone else feel comfortable? Because they were mm -hmm. never made to feel comfortable, right? And I think that that's something that's really difficult for people to recognize sometimes and really start to unpack the layers of the fact that uh, we just assimilated with something that was already built. It was not cultivated or created with any of my experiences, thoughts, or needs in mind. So of which, if I'm elevating that now, and there's a need to elevate that now, there's a reason, right? Of which some people may consider, well, y'all, it's a lot. Right. It's a lot to unpack. Well, it's a lot of years where no one was listening and no one was willing to have us be hurt. Right. So if we're going to have the mic, best believe we're going to try to influence it as much as possible. And I think that that's what's amazing about the evolution of people, not only of certain colors, but also of true allies, not performative allyship, but true allies really stepping up to the table is that you have seen movement, you have seen the opportunity for things to cultivate and change. But for those that, you know, haven't, um, you know, uh, experienced that shift for themselves, that's because probably where you were sitting was was built to best support you. And of which everyone has different levels of privilege, including myself. We all have to recognize that. Right. But for the most part, especially in a corporate capacity, that was not built for or made for people of color, unless it was cultivated by people of color to begin with, right? Uh, a lot of which right. we don't work right. at those places. So it's it's similar to, um, I was having a conversation with someone about, you know, HBCUs and they were like, yeah, like let's cultivate programs and, you know, reach out to HBCUs. And I'm like, I love that. I love that. But most black people go to PWIs. They go to predominantly white institutions. So how are we also reaching those people, right? I love both, but those are different right, strategies. If right. you're thinking about reaching Black college students, HBCUs is a subset of percentage of the entire population of students that get to go to college. So of which go to predominantly white institutions. So where's the strategy there, right? So I think that that's the piece of just having that conversation. Right. Um, but yeah, the net net, I think, is a lot of what 
was uh, built for people of color was not built for people of color at the time. No, no. Listen, you 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 answered it perfectly, right? You got another superpower. You you're really good. I love it. I love it. Um, so, in a perfect world, Chanel, what should advocacy and allyship look like from in a corporate environment mm. as well as on a personal level? Yeah, I think on a corporate level, um, and even to some capacity on a personal level, it's about recognizing the experiences of other individuals outside of your own and thinking about mm-hmm. how you can proactively action on their behalf to elevate their experience. I think that there's a there's a nuance and differentiation of saving someone. I don't need someone to save me, right? Of which there's plenty of other phrases that are not PC to say, but I don't need someone to save me. I need someone to help understand my experiences and where I want to go and help proactively elevate that opportunity for me, of which I never need to know about it, right? And I think that that's that's a nuance that can be so impactful. I never need to, nor necessarily want to know that you did that on my behalf, right? Because sometimes that can get into the performative nature or the favor tendency. And I think that proactive action to elevate is is beyond impactful, especially in a corporate space. I think the same thing goes in, in personal capacity, right? If there's an opportunity for me to connect somebody to someone else or to offer up someone's name for an opportunity or what have you, of course I would love to do that. But that's also based upon the trust and the relationship that I've built with said individuals. And I think that that same thing goes in a corporate space. It's much harder now, in my personal opinion, to build authentic trust in a corporate space, especially in a virtual space, not always, and having that in-person connection with people. I mean, that is awesome. You know, I I will add, uh, if you don't mind, I'll I'll add a couple of things to what you were saying. So number one, I agree with, um, you know, your solution in in terms of a dream world. What would it look like from a corporate um, um, perspective? The, The only thing I would add from a corporate perspective, you're not doing this because you, you know, um, you just want to be friendly. You're doing this is because you have talented individuals mm-hmm. that can help the corporate, the, the company's bottom line. So if you're able to help unleash them, it's going to help the comp first is going to help you and your team, mm-hmm. because now you have somebody that able to, you know, uh, utilize their talent at their full capacity, right? And then number two, it's going to push out throughout the the, uh, the overall organization. So it, you're 100% right. But the other reason you want to do that is because of the talent that you yeah. have in that company. Yeah. And, and by nurturing that talent, right, it's only going to help the organization succeed and it's going to help you succeed. I mean, from a like a retention strategy perspective, right? You think of that right there. I think that that is incredibly invaluable, not to mention for your clients. If if your team is representative and inclusive and diverse of the customers that are buying that product, that's a no-brainer, of which we, we we got some ways to go, right? When I cast a team, it should be a no-brainer that it's representative of the customers that are serving that product. But There will come a day not that far along in our country of which the tables will turn in terms of just our ethnic representation. And and, and it will be really, really interesting to see how that comes to life from a seniority perspective in in a corporate capacity. Well, I mean, look, that's why you're getting a lot of pushback on all fronts in terms of everything from a DEI standpoint, just based on what you've got been saying in terms of the country's makeup in the next 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Final thoughts you want our audience to know, Chanel. Final thoughts. I I mean, I would love the audience to just really think about their own individual experiences, where they can push outside of their own boundaries, where they can um, experience something new, get themselves out of uh, a comfortable space, right? That can be something 
light. Uh, it doesn't need to be anything heavy, whether that's, you know, you're experiencing, you're trying new food, you're finding new people, what have you. Get outside of your comfort zones. I think where you push yourself outside of your bounds is just the start to unlocking something new. And then I think the other piece is just around uh, listening. There's a there's a lot of true fundamental listening that is more than invaluable and really identify what you're listening to, whether that's personal experience or anything else of that nature. Now, there's something that doesn't either sit right with your stomach, gives you goosebumps or gives you a fire in your belly. Figure out how to action on it, because that's the thing that will really motivate you and, and take you to the next point. Well, listen, I can tell you flat out, you just gave me goosebumps. I got a fire in my belly and I'm very motivated because you came and joined us today and really helped us understand putting the advocacy back into allyship. Chanel Lake, Senior Vice President of Influencer Marketing at Edelman. Thanks a lot for coming here, educating us. But not only that, your, your love of your fellow human being, your passion, you've all, you demonstrated that today. So we would love to have you come back at a future time. And, you know, my final question for you is how can a, a Black executive perspective help you? How could a Black executive perspective help me? I think by continuing to, uh, one, keep the communication open and um, elevate my story where, wherever possible. So I'll, I'll make sure that we continue to, to keep that in, in touch. That's a done deal. I mean, I mean, listen, you, we're talking a very talented, smart individual who the more people that you can chat with, the better, because you're going to educate a lot of individuals. People need to hear from you. They need to hear your story, but more importantly, they need to hear your solutions. And we're blessed that we're able to have you today to provide all three. So Chanel Lake, Senior Vice President of Influencer Marketing at Edelman, thank you for joining a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, everybody. So I hope you enjoyed our session today, our episode, putting the advocacy back into allyship on a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Our guest today, Chanel Lake, who's the Senior Vice President of Influencer Marketing at Edelman, was fantastic. She really dove into a lot of solutions. She shared her experiences. And then more importantly, she was able to give examples in terms of how we all could be better advocates, advocates and, and allies. Number one, she talked about, you know, being proactive, right? In, 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 in other words, learning, doing the homework yourself about other people, or other groups that you're not familiar with, you know? And obviously we think it's a, it's a heavy lift, but she made it very simple. Hey, visit, it's really about connections. Visit other people that you're not familiar with. You know, make yourself the minority in, cer in certain areas versus you always being the majority. By doing that, it gives you an opportunity to educate yourself. And then more importantly, making a real connection with other individuals. You know, she talked about commitment. You know, one of the things that you know, we, where we struggle is people say, I got your back, but then they don't show up. So, you know, really being a strong ally is not only, yes, educate, but also back up your actions in terms of how you're going to help the group that you're going to ally for. What actions are you going to put together? What timelines are you going to do? And then more importantly, I think the other thing she talked about where, you know, most companies now have BRG uh, groups. I, I love what she said about, hey, Join something, a group that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, uh, it's not the same background that you have, right? This is another way from a corporate environment to be able to learn about other individuals and make those personal connections and more importantly, educate yourself. So she was fantastic, you know, for leadership. Hey, it doesn't matter if somebody's from a different background or religion on your team. You should feel comfortable giving them feedback, right? It doesn't matter. So the more that you immerse yourself in terms of making personal connections with other people outside of your group, the more it's going to be comfortable you will be in chatting with them about everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's going to help us all, you know, be able to come together. But more importantly, like I said, our goal is, bring the races together and really focus on one race. That's the human race. So the tidbit of today is by Shirley S. 
and it is. Ignorance is not bliss. Oblivion is apathetic. Silence is compliance. Consciousness is being aware of yourself, your privilege, and the world around you. To be humane is to be a great human being. Your essence is no more significant than her, him, they, us, and I. Empathy is, I hear you. I understand you. Ally is, I stand up with you and I brave with you. Injustice isn't just one problem. It's our problem. Yes, your life does matter, but right now, our life is a threat. And that is by Shirley S. So hopefully, I hope you really enjoyed a Black Executive's Perspective podcast. This episode, putting the advocacy advocacy back into allyship. You can follow us at a www, a Black Executive Perspective podcast. When you come there, tell us your favorite moment. Give us a rating. Tell us what you think we should do more frequently. What are some of the things that you learned today? What questions do you still have about putting the advocacy back into allyship. What questions your host, Tony Tidbit, didn't ask, all right? Remember, you can follow a Black Executive Perspective podcast on all the different social platforms wherever you get your podcasts. And again, come to our website, give your feedback at www.blackexecutiveperspective.com. Come back next episode and let's talk about it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tony Tidbit, A Black Executive Perspective, and for joining in today's conversation. With every story we share, every conversation we foster, and every barrier we address, we can ignite the sparks that bring about lasting change. And this carries us one step closer to transforming the face of corporate America. If today's episode resonated with you, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your circle, and with your support, we can reach more people and tell more stories.